Jeff, as well as all the others who have so willingly shared uh, their story with us. And I'm looking forward to the ones we'll get to hear in the weeks ahead. Um, I shared this last week on Easter, but I just want to reemphasize that our hope in sharing these stories is that uh, you would be encouraged, uh, that you would be inspired to see um, how Jesus can change your life as well, and even to think about how Jesus has changed everything for you. Uh, in Jeff's story, you hear how um, the change for him seems probably to be a little more subtle. He followed Jesus for a number of years, and it's as he would discover more about Jesus through his word and through his instructions that he just felt the need to submit to that as God shaped him and changed him. And, and for many, that's how Jesus changes everything. It's, it's over time. It's gradual. As the Spirit of God reminds us of what Jesus wants for us, as he shows us things in his word, uh, we, we can choose to align ourselves with his word, and he shapes and he changes us. But there are times when people change more drastically or dramatically. It happens more, more quickly. And it's not that subtle change and gradual change or drastic and sudden change, that one is better than the other. Um, they're both important, that God would work on us and transform our lives to be what he desires for them to be. Uh, we're going to be looking at a story today that is more dramatic and drastic when it comes to the change that we see Jesus bring uh, to someone's life. Uh, we're going to be looking at the story of the Apostle Paul, um, but the Apostle Paul pre-Jesus and then immediately after he encounters Jesus. Um, Paul goes by a name early in the book of Acts, which is the name Saul. And I'm going to use those two names interchangeably today, and so don't get confused. In Scripture, uh, there are two uh, famous Sauls talked about. One is in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel. You'll find his story in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. And then there's the second Saul that Luke tells us about, beginning in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 specifically this morning. And, and how he was this man who was a Jewish leader, he was zealous for the law, and how he encountered Jesus and everything changed for him. But later in Acts, Luke actually begins to talk about Saul by using the name Paul. It's in Acts chapter 13, he tells us that Saul was also called Paul, which we assume is probably his Greek name. And as Paul begins to travel throughout the Roman world. He just is known as Paul from that point forward. In fact, Paul refers to himself in his letters as Paul, an apostle of, of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So if I use Saul and Paul, don't get confused. It's the same person. And Saul has a pretty dramatic, a pretty drastic conversion where Jesus changes everything for him. Uh, in fact, Luke um, thinks that the, the conversion of Saul is so important that he tells the story three times. Once he tells it more from his narrator's voice as he recounts these historical events. That's what happens in Luke chapter nine. And he tells it two other times, but he lets us hear Paul tell it in his own words in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. And just shows how impactful this moment is when Saul meets Jesus and Jesus changes everything. Well, what I hope to do is show you Saul before he met Jesus to help you get a picture of who he was and what he stood for. And then I wanna show you who Saul was after his encounter with Jesus to help you see how much Jesus changed in Saul's life. And then we're going to look at what happened 
to get Saul from point A to point B to be completely changed. Now that challenges us and how Jesus can change everything for us. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, find Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to hang out for most of the morning. We'll look at a couple other accounts as well. In Acts chapter 9, we'll end up reading almost the whole conversion story, but we're just going to start with the first two verses. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here is Saul before his encounter with Jesus. And we see that Saul is opposed to the people of God and to the mission of Jesus. Uh, to what he calls followers of the way. The way was this way. They began to, uh, to speak about those who were following the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, uh, his interpretations of Israel's place in God's story and what God wanted for his people. And, and Saul was committed in this season of his life. His purpose, his mission was to eradicate followers of the way. He, along with several other Jewish leaders, saw the way, these followers of Jesus, as as really people who were false teachers, who were leading Israel further from who God wanted them to be. They were jeopardizing Israel's faith. The language is pretty specific here. It says Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. If you were to translate that a little more directly from the Greek, it would say that he was breathing out slaughter against followers of the way. He'd gone to great effort to get letters to take to Damascus to try to extradite, to, to remove followers of Jesus from Damascus and bring them to Jerusalem to face difficulty and hardship. And I think one of the questions we have to answer is, why? Why was Saul, why were some of the religious leaders so opposed to the way of Jesus? And we kind of piece together an answer to that by looking at some of Paul's own words when he recounts his conversion but also by looking at the dynamics between the Pharisees and Jesus in the Gospels, we can look at Stephen's message and see why the way of Jesus was such a threat to the Jewish leaders in traditional Judaism. Let's look at Paul's words first, Acts chapter 22, as he recounts his own conversion in Acts 22 to a crowd of Jewish people in Jerusalem. Here's what he says. This is verse 3. It says, Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, a, a great teacher, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Saul, Paul, had been formally and thoroughly trained in the instructions of God through Moses, as well as the prophets. He knew uh, the teachings of God inside and out. He says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul sees followers of the way as a threat. Why? 
Because he knows the law of Moses. He knows what it has to say about the kingdom of God, about the temple of God. In fact, we know from looking in the gospels themselves that the Pharisees had this high view of the law of Moses as well as the temple. In fact, some of the controversy they had with Jesus was when Jesus would say things like, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you this. They, they took issue with Jesus saying that all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled in me. They took issue with Jesus saying the temple will be torn down and three days later it will be rebuilt and equating his life in some way to the temple. When we find Saul in Acts chapter 8, it says he's standing by approvingly as Stephen is killed. And what has Stephen just done? Stephen has just preached a message in Acts chapter 7 of which he talks about how there's these new interpretations for Moses and the kingdom of God. He said that the temple is not built by human hands. So here are these pillars of the Jewish leader's faith, the law of Moses and the temple, and there's this whole new interpretation that comes with them from Jesus, and they felt like it was tearing down the very fabric, the very foundations of what it meant to be a Jew. And so as a zealous Pharisee, Saul says, I've got to do everything I can to get rid of it. I've got to eradicate the way. And so he turned to what he felt like was justified violence and uh, extreme measures against the church, against followers of the way. Uh, I think what's really interesting is how New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright writes about Paul and who he was in his book, The New Testament in Its World, that he published here just a couple of years ago. He says this of Saul. Saul then was not just a hothead with a fiery brand of theology. He was a violent zealot of the most extreme kind, believing that God was sponsoring his violence and that he was therefore justified in seeking to destroy anyone who he thought endangered Israel's national purity and hence Israel's future hope. That's a pretty strong depiction of how opposed to the way of Jesus that Saul was. That's, that's Saul pre-Jesus. Saul committed to doing everything he can to get rid of these followers of the way. And yet we know that's not the rest of Saul's story. In fact, if we move towards the end of Acts chapter nine, we get this picture of Saul. Look at uh, the second half of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, to kill Saul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. He'd seen Jesus and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. What a contrast. 
It'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more dramatic change, a more dramatic, a more drastic shift in someone, who they were before and now who they are after Jesus. The one who was persecuting Jesus, the one who was persecuting the followers of Jesus, now becomes himself a persecuted disciple of Jesus. The one who was declaring a message of doom and darkness and death over those who follow Jesus is now proclaiming a message of good news, of light, of life. How did such a change occur in Saul's life? How did Jesus change everything for him? I think the secret is found in verses three through five. I think, I know the secret is found here. Paul writes about it in other letters. In verses three through five, or I'll go through three through six, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. What changes everything for Saul? What, what happens that enables him to be so dramatically changed? Saul, Paul, sees Jesus clearly. He sees the fullness of who Jesus is is for the very first time. And seeing the resurrected Jesus, seeing Jesus in his glory, hearing his voice changes everything for Saul. Saul would recount in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, one of the places in his letter to the Galatians chapter one, another place, about he, how he truly saw Jesus. He sees Jesus clearly and that makes all the difference for him. One of the phrases that comes to mind as I think about Saul's dramatic conversion, who he was before Jesus, who he is after Jesus, is one of my favorite quotes from the new television series, The Chosen. Uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, once she's freed from demon possession in the television series, The Chosen, she has an encounter with Nicodemus. And in that encounter with Nicodemus, he's asking her, what happened for you? What shifted for you? What changed for you? And she says this, she says, um, let, me, let me get the words exactly right. She says, I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. I think Saul probably would tell us something similar. I was one way. I was opposed to the way of Jesus. I was opposed to Jesus. I was against it. My life was bent on destroying it. I was one way, but, but now I'm completely different. And what happened in between was him. Saul sees Jesus clearly. Do you know the more clearly and the more completely we see Jesus, the more clear and complete his transformation of our lives can be? But we struggle. We struggle to see Jesus clearly. If you wanna see Jesus change everything for you, if you wanna know the transformation that he brings, complete transformation, whether it's gradual, whether it's sudden, it's gonna come by how clearly you see Jesus. And it can be really hard to see Jesus clearly in our world and even in our churches sometimes. There's a battle, there's a fight 
for the heart of the church within the church right now. There's a fight for the principles of who God is and what he stands for in our world. That that fight is so evident in American culture. We are people that like to land in our extremes. We love our places of polarity. There's something about being protected and fortified in our self-righteousness when we move to extremes. And so what happens when it comes to Jesus? There are some who, who say, Jesus is the righteous judge. He's all about truth. He's all about obedience. He's all about holiness. He's all about doing the right thing. And so they emphasize the holiness and the justice and the righteousness of Jesus, but often to the exclusion or by minimizing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the kindness of God in Jesus. And then there are others who want to emphasize the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the kindness of God in Jesus, but they want to do so to the exclusion or to the minimizing of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And so we end up, even within the church sometimes, with people who will emphasize his truth, they become more legalistic, it's all about obedience to his commands, they choose to read the gospels and see only those things that speak about the truth and obedience. In the process, they do harm, pushing down the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And then there are those within the church who want to elevate only those things about Jesus' mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. They want to emphasize the stories of the prodigal son and how Jesus sets the woman caught in adultery free, but they want to minimize and exclude Jesus' calls to obeying him. If you love me, obey my commands. And what ends up happening is that people end up with these cloudy pictures of who Jesus is and we move to extremes and the witness of the church is hurt. Even outside of the church, what so often happens why people get this muddied picture of Jesus is that someone emphasizes Jesus simply as a kind man, as a great teacher, but they don't wanna see the fullness of who he is as God's son who stands for the heart of God and wants people to follow him and follow his ways and his truth. If we're gonna be changed by Jesus, we have to be people who find ourselves living in the tension, not in extremes. It's not about Jesus, the truth, exclusively, nor is it about Jesus, the gracious and forgiving, compassionate Savior, exclusively. It's about Jesus, full of grace and truth. Think about John, his description of Jesus in John chapter one. Here is John, a disciple of Jesus, who'd walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, who, who saw his life, heard his teachings, now writing after Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, is reflecting on all that we need to know about Jesus. John, John will tell us at the end of his gospel that there's way more that Jesus did. All the books in the world couldn't contain it, but these words are written so that we might have life and have life in his name. And how does he begin his gospel? by telling us the essence of who Jesus is. And look what he says in John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God, the divine utterance came and tabernacled. He took up dwelling in human skin. We have seen his glory. We saw the glory of the one and only son who came from the father in Jesus. And what was he full of? Grace and what? Truth. 
It's grace and truth. It's not truth alone. It's not grace alone. It's both. And when we see Jesus clearly, we see that he is full of both grace and truth. And when we can see the fullness of who Jesus is, it will change our lives. And as Jesus shapes our lives, the world sees him. But if all we're communicating is a Jesus of grace or all we're communicating is a Jesus of truth, we will not give people a clear picture of who Jesus is. Think about Paul himself. How was he changed? He saw a Jesus who was full of grace and truth. Paul, a persecutor of God's people. Paul, who stood by as Jesus' followers were killed. Paul, who came with letters of extradition that could result in the death of other followers of Jesus. Paul, who who could have been accused of murder himself. Paul has extended the grace of Jesus when he's called to be his instrument. But yet Paul also receives the truth of who Jesus is. Paul, something's gotta change. Paul, something's gotta change. You are living for the wrong things. It is grace and truth. And the church prevails, God's message prevails, and we choose not to live in an extreme, but to live in the tension. I don't know about hybrid cars and electric cars. Um, I don't know a lot about gas cars, but I know enough that it's all that I owned. And when I pop open the hood on my gas automobile, there is an engine, and there are these pulleys, and there are these belts. And if those belts are not held in tension, if they're only wrapped around one end of a spindle or a pulley and not the other, that car will not run. It's the tension that keeps that car moving. And when followers of Jesus fight to see Jesus clearly, that he is full of grace and truth, truth and grace, We live in the mess and we help people experience the fullness of who he is. But we have to resist the pull in our culture to throw our weight behind only one partial picture of Jesus. Because when we see Jesus clearly, everything changes. Everything changed for Paul. Everything changed for Saul. Everything changed for Jeff. Everything changed for me by seeing Jesus Clearly. So how do we see Jesus clearly? I would strongly encourage you to saturate yourself, to saturate your study in the Gospels of Jesus, what we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm not saying study the Gospels to the exclusion of the rest of Scripture. I believe wholeheartedly in what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, where he tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And by the way, when Paul writes that, all Scripture, he doesn't yet have a recorded New Testament. So he's talking about Genesis through Malachi, that all of it is given to us by God, and it's useful for helping us. So I'm not saying don't study all of Scripture. The whole council of Scripture is important. But I think that we should spend a disproportionate amount of our time in the Gospels. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter chapter 5, 39 and 40, that it's possible for religious zealots to study the scriptures and think that in them they have eternal life and miss that the scriptures actually point to him instead of coming to him to find eternal life. So may we be people who immerse ourselves in the whole word of God, but spend a lot of time in the gospels, allowing the life of Jesus to saturate even us that we would see his stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We would see him and that we would be disciplined when we come to the word of God. And if John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth, why don't we read the gospels and say, Jesus, show me here in this account, where do I see your truth? Where do I see your grace? So we don't read them with only one type of lens. 
or we don't focus on some passages to the exclusion of others. Because it's only when we see Jesus clearly that we'll be changed. And I would encourage you, if you're saturating yourself in the Gospels, to then even supplement sometimes with, with something like The Chosen to help you see. I would tell you the power behind the television series The Chosen is not that it's a substitute for our Gospels. But The Chosen really comes alive when you're familiar with the life of Jesus and you see the artistic license that the, the directors in the studio take and you can begin to see, oh wait, I know where this is going because I know the rest of the story. In episode one of The Chosen season one, you get introduced to Nicodemus. If you studied the scriptures, you know Nicodemus' story and you're like, oh, this is probably gonna happen. And then it, you see it um, with kind of a renewed eyes when it does. But the chosen is not a substitute for the gospels. The gospels are there and the, the chosen helps kind of supplement that for us. But saturate yourself in the gospels if you want to see Jesus clearly. Read the lens of his grace and his truth. Both and not either or. Don't move to the extremes. So how was Paul changed? He saw Jesus clearly. The more clearly and completely you and I see Jesus, the more clear and complete the transformation will be in our own lives. A diminished view of Jesus will always lead to diminished witness in our world. When, when we think about Saul and his conversion in Acts, there's something else that sticks out to me. Not just that he saw Jesus clearly, but God used another disciple of Jesus who saw him clearly to help Saul in his journey as the disciple of Jesus. There's a man named Ananias that shows up in this account, verses 10 through 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. There was a follower of Jesus. There was a member of the way. There was someone who saw Jesus clearly. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answers. And Jesus tells him, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. By the way, you can Google Straight Street. It's one of the longest um, consistently or continuously populated streets in the entire world. And you can still see a picture of Straight Street to this day. The contour of the street's been shifted and changed just a little bit. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Listen how the Lord assures Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. He placed his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Do you see how God used another disciple of Jesus to come alongside Saul and to help him as he became a follower of Jesus himself? Will you and I be willing to do what Ananias has done? To risk being ridiculous, to risk danger, to risk uncertainty, to come alongside others who need to know the fullness of who Jesus is, full of grace and truth. Ananias had to see the heart of God for Saul. He had to see that there is not a single person in this world who is too far gone 
that Jesus can't rescue them through his truth and his grace. Do you and I accept that? Do we understand that? That there's not a single person in this world who is too far gone that Jesus cannot save them and rescue them. That they can't have their vision changed, that they might see him clearly. I don't know who it is that you've written off, but my hope is that you won't any longer, maybe even see how God might use you to reach them. There are a couple stories that stuck out to me as I was uh, thinking through this this week, and One's the story of a man I'll call Steve because I don't have permission to share his story and he's now deceased and I won't be able to get his permission to share his story. Um, the other is of a ministry I was introduced to some 20 years ago. I met Steve when we came to a church uh, in Illinois and I was serving there uh, at one time as a youth minister and then as the preacher. And um, I met Steve by way of his son who I'll call Josh. I would pick up Josh uh, for our Wednesday night youth group and and Josh was pretty clear that his father was opposed to the church. He was opposed to Jesus. But as I spent more time with Josh, uh, Steve became curious, the dad, about what was happening in his son's life. And so we started having meals together. And those conversations with Steve, I learned about his background, uh, that he had had a long history as a Wiccan. Uh, he even said that at one point in his life, he was a witch completely opposed to the way of Jesus. But as he began to see Jesus, clearly what happened in Steve's lives, he, he became a follower of Jesus. Someone who others would have written off became all in for Jesus. Uh, he started having his own hats printed, trucker hats that would say Jesus is Lord. He'd have a conversation with everybody at every restaurant he was in. He, he, he started developing his own tracks on how the Holy Spirit can change people's lives because he saw Jesus clearly and it changed everything for him. A former witch becomes a faithful follower of the way of Jesus. Think about the stories I heard early on when I was a youth minister some 20 years ago about a ministry called the Triple X Church. They still exist to this day. They've been since handed off to new leadership. They help people who are wrestling with pornography. Um, It's just xxxchurch.com. But in their early days as a ministry, not only were they helping people overcome their addiction to pornography, but they were um, engaging in an active ministry, even in the adult film community. Uh, These two ministers, along with their wives and a team, would go to adult film conventions, and they would try to reach out to uh, people in the adult film industry. Their motto was, Jesus loves porn stars, which I know is offensive to some. Um, I actually used to have a t-shirt, and I'd wear it, and it offended people, so I stopped wearing it. But their message was this, is that Jesus has hope for you. And they have had story after story of men and women involved in the adult film industry who have left everything to follow Jesus. But we believe alongside Ananias, we believe alongside the God who made us that there is no one too far gone. But we have to see Jesus clearly. He's full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you come revealing this beautiful, clear picture of your heart in Jesus. God, Father, may you help us wherever we we struggle. God, for those here in the room or those watching online who struggle with uh, moving more towards legalism, 
Uh, they don't want to emphasize grace. They're, they're afraid of what that might give people uh, a license to sin. They just want to emphasize your righteousness and your commands. Would you break their heart to see if they have to uphold your grace as well? And God, I pray for those that are here that just want to emphasize your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, and they don't want to uphold your call to follow, your call to obey, that, that you would lead us all into that tension to, to be men and women who are surrendered to your truth and your grace, and that we would live that out and champion that to a world in need, that they might see you clearly, that they might have everything in their lives changed like Saul did. May you be honored. May you be glorified. Call us to yourself, Father. Show us how to live for you. Show us who we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.